Good morning. My name is Renika Cheney. I'm a member here at Christ Central, and I'm also a part of the Sharon Amity Community Group. Today's reading comes from 1 Samuel chapter 27, verses 1 through 12. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived at, with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Then David said to Achish, if I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites, for these were the inhabitants of the land from of old as far as Shur to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. When Achish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say, against the Negev of Judah, or against the Negev of the Jeramalites, or against the Negev of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking, lest they should tell about us and say, so David has done. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking, he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And as we continue in our sermon series, which I must say has been pretty apropos uh, for the times, um, especially um, the times and events of the last couple of weeks, between the shootings and the political conventions, I want you to know before I get into this that it is beyond difficult and incredibly anxiety-causing, to feel fair and balanced and try to be fair and balanced in my preaching right now, in my leadership right now. And though I will focus sometimes a little bit more on the civil rights movement going on in our country right now, let me also emphasize that this message can be applied to a number of strained relationships like we discussed last week, whether romantic relationships, husband and wife relationships, friendships, economic alliances, and even church memberships. That as we saw last week can end with 
God mediated irreconcilable differences. So the Bible says David, the end of chapter 26, right before this, went his way and Saul went back to his place. But where would David go? Saul had a, had a kingdom. Saul had a throne. Saul had a place to go. But where would David go and how would he survive? Family and all, about 2,000 folks under his responsible care. Where would they go in a country, in a nation where the majority and leadership considered them public enemy number one? Who considered them a nuisance, a threat. Even though Saul was clearly unstable, he had the power to make David's life miserable and marginalized. Almost anywhere and everywhere, David and his misfit outside his word to go, Saul was going to find them. We discovered last week that vengeance was not the way. But we must ask, was running to the other side? to the enemy's camp, to the Philistines, to those in what appears to be a theological and biblical and moral opposite of Israel. Was that the answer? Here's some things I want you to see in the passage today. There's many points here. There's many applications, but here are three we're going to focus on today. First, we are, are, as believers, called to live in what I would describe as the wild. Secondly, we will live oftentimes as outcasts. And finally, the Lord comes and goes where we may find ourselves. The Lord comes and goes where we are. Through these last chapters of 1 Samuel, we, we are following the journey of David, not yet King David. We're following his journey, living as a refugee, right? And fugitive of King Saul, the present king. David was the original Fuji, y'all. And the Psalms, if you were to read it correctly, are the first Fuji La. It's the natural, well, supernatural love that the refugees bring. And in the Psalms, for us to be able to sing, that rhymed on purpose. And the last verse of chapter 26 says again, so David went his way and Saul, the Bible says, returned to his place. Y'all hear that? Saul had a place. He had an address. He had security. He, has a, he had somewhere he fit, where he fit. He had an office. And the Bible says David went his way. The word way to our executive pastor, Derek, who led us in worship, is the Hebrew word Derek. You in the Bible, brother. Did you know that? And it means, I don't know if they say it, Derek, or pronounce it that way, but it means journey. It means in a direction. It means that way. <laughs> now, the Bible is making clear that David is living 
in the wild, right? He is living on the run. He's living under the stars, no home, no place that he can find peace and comfort for him and those who are with him. And when he does find a place to, let's call it rent or lease, it is separated from his country, his home, and the place and people of his heritage, of, of his faith, of his belief, of his worship. He was in a place that was distant from God's promised land. David's journey tells us that tells us what living on the earth will be like for believers and for others who will come to believe. We are called to live in a space that is outside of heaven, right? And oftentimes outside of the sacred realm. Whether it is on our jobs, whether it's in our neighborhoods, whether it's in our country, whether it's under our present leadership, we should remind ourselves of what the Bible tells us, that we spend our days in a place that is not yet heaven. And that we will only experience heaven perfectly and fully being in the presence of God when we go and it comes to earth one day. But that day is not now or completely here yet, right? There is no utopia. You can't move to it. Sorry, there is no Wakanda, right? There is no heavenly and perfect righteous space or, or place for us, not even in the church or in our ecclesiastical institutions or even if you run to a Christian school or, or, or in our nation that claims to be under God. We are on a journey outside of the final and sacred realm. Not that there aren't institutions and people within them with a holy, sacred aim where God interacts and lives within people, but we live and journey and exist and survive in the wild of a fallen and broken world. Which means this. We are not in a binary, two-party world. Right? It is all not heaven. Let me tell you what I mean. This thing between Saul and David, right? One going to his place and the other his way actually forms what I would call in this relationship a triangle, right? Not a binary where Saul and the authorities, because Saul is in office, is with the Lord and doing the Lord's perfect and more perfect will. And where David, because he is on his way, is not as close to God. I want to make this clear. Because any criticism of David's way in action and his desperation for survival is not an automatic thumbs up for Saul's leadership. Because Saul is sitting in the Holy Land. You know, uh, think about it. His heart, though, is far away. Which means any criticism of those who, like David, have been alienated or disenfranchised from their country and from their faith is not an automatic thumbs up to those who may feel comfort and righteousness in their positions of power and theological astuteness and two or three issue missions, but rather it's an admission that they, like all of us, are in a fallen world that is wild with sin within and without regardless of which side of the issues we find ourselves. Where we are all trying to find our way. 
and places in this wild world and trusting God to draw all of us, whether we're on the right or the left, or whether we're the red or the blue, where God is drawing all of us from our places that are separated from his perfect will to himself. So whether we want to return, live and make where we are great again, whether in that we want to protect and defend with law and order, or whether you're on your way in the streets, right? On a march from or against a place that we cannot accept living in without there being change. It is like that, not, not because someone is closer to what God wants or is closer in their hearts of being what God desires, but that it points to that we are all distant from the perfect will and plan of God. which means we all, right, we often live as outcast. Look at verse 1 here. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Ahish, the son of Moash, king of Gath. And David lived with Ahish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam and of Jezreel, and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul, was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought David. Now the commentaries that I've studied point out that when it says that David said in his heart, it meant that he was thinking to himself. In other words, David was all in his feelings and making a decision based on instinct and survival and not prayer or seeking the Lord on what to do next. The Bible tells us in a previous chapter that David had an ephod, right? It was a thing the priest wore, meaning he had all the equipment, he had everything he needed to pray directly to and then hear from God. But the instinct to survive took over, and the Bible says that he was not simply just, he wasn't simply just escaping to the land of the Philistines, but that he, in verse 2, here's the words, went over. He went over to and with the sworn enemies of Israel and the God of Israel. He changed jerseys, y'all. If you're a Panther fan, he changed his jersey to New Orleans or Atlanta, right? And then he moved to that city. In fact, Later on, we find out that he works for a Philistine, right? Just, just kind of on the side, right? He, by, by the name, by Achish, the, the name we just saw. And King Hahish loves it along with the Philistines around him, even though this is the town, believe, hear me, this is Goliath's hometown, right? Because it looks like they, the Philistines, have turned the all-pro quarterback from the other team to play for them. But David was more than a player. It would be like Coach K going to Chapel Hill, 
to be the new head coach of the Tar Heels through an overnight silent deal. Some of y'all already shaking your head. Wow. Right? But David wasn't thinking all that. He was simply trying to do for him and his people to stay alive, right? Even if that meant playing like he was playing for the other team. And because he had so many people with him, an entourage of 2,000, about about 2,000, he was given his own city, Ziklag, which turns out was an annexed city of Israel after all, right? But, But nevertheless, he was playing like he was starring for the other team. But Mission Impossible style, he was going out and killing whole towns of people in Philistine territory and Egyptian territory and all and many other enemies of Israel, killing, now hear me, killing all their men, all their women, all their children, and leaving to leave no one who would identify him as a double agent, while at the same time lying to and making Ahish and the rest of the Philistines believe he was in Israeli towns killing them. Why? Why would David, as the Bible calls a man after God's own heart, the next leader of Israel, cross over, go over, and then take the risk that he would be separated from his godly heritage and be in a place where he and others would be tempted to worship other gods and lose their faith and identity? Because he was living outcast as one who had been cast out. Y'all see that in his words, in in verses one through four. His own country, y'all. His own community that he was born into and paid taxes in and worshiped in and worked hard in and learned about, and risked his life for, and learned about the Lord, and because of Saul and his leadership was not safe for him and his people anymore. His people, you know who they were? A group of ragamuffin, minority-type outcast. And now David was a wanted, warranted man. And because Saul was in a place of privilege and power, David would always be a suspect and never be accepted as a prospect, even though the Bible says he was. He would always be thought of first as someone who might snatch a purse or steal or rape or bring down property values or take our kids down the wrong path, who had great hopes but now hung out with the shady crowd of people who, like him, are thought of as anti-country and against law and order, whiners and complainers who didn't work hard enough in the minds of Saul's supporters. He knew that this kind of attitude from the authorities and view of Saul's supporters would one day kill him physically if not psychologically and spiritually so he did something very questionable and his being cast out he lived and campaigned among those who accepted him for all the wrong reasons but gave him and his a safe place To rest. And that safe place, truly, y'all, I'm telling you, was in the company of folks with criminal records. 
was in a company of folks who, 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 who shouldn't be accepted, right? Who, who were not compliant with the crown, who were zealots and rebels and protesters and questionable lifestyle having looters and rioters of the day. That's where the next king of Israel found rest. And, and David not only joined it, but from what we read in his going into these towns and taking the, the sheep and the cattle and all the stuff, he not only joined, but he led the movement as a Robin Hood type, right? Don't you see it? He would go into a Philistine town or Egyptian town and kill an Amalekite town and kill everyone and then take all their goods. The word in verse 10 is he would raid. It's the same as a popular word today. Loot. And then feed his people and keep them safe in the woods away from the evil king. We know this story. Robin Hood. We tell our kids this story. We let them watch the movies. We let them read the books. We love Robin Hood. If it's about us, if it's about us, and we hate it, if we are the ones in positions of stability, power, and wealth. Let me tell you something. A number of our brothers and sisters are in a similar spot, and it's sad. Out in the way, seeking a place to be, seeking life. God's with them, but they're seeking life in protest with and as those who feel separated and cast out by their own what a terrible feeling, feeling cast out and not seen and accepted by your own country and in some situations, your own church and are now appearing in roles of, let me call it, double agency to be with those who are theologically not like us or them and they are warned, you know, you need to be careful you're not becoming Marxist or getting caught up in critical race theory. Or that you're trying to give credence to some of the immorality of the people that march along and fight alongside you. Just an aside real quick, that Jesus was criticized by the religious rulers and leaders in the establishment of his day of inciting instability and potential uprising and riot and giving credence to sinners that they're okay. He hung out with the wrong crowd. He didn't hang out with people in authority. He didn't hang out with folk who had the most uh, uh, ecclesiastical church power. Those are the people who hated him. But that's just an aside. Because this is not just about being cast out. Something more insidious is happening. This is about feeling downcast, y'all. The Bible is saying, if David is saying, you know, I'm thinking in myself, I, 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 I'm, fe I'm struggling, I, I, I got to get out of here. Um, um, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read the word. I don't have time to figure out whether loot in this town is right or wrong. I, I, I just got to survive, right? The Bible is saying, therefore, David was, not, was feeling not just outcast by Saul, 
he was feeling and living let down and downcast by the Lord. That's why he didn't consult the Lord. So he turned to a situation and action and took his people to a very spiritually and physically dangerous place. Got to say that. Now, when I say these kind of things, and I'm about to kind of talk about some of the inconsistencies of what David did, please, please, please don't weaponize this against your brothers and sisters. Oh, are you protesting? you marching? Well, Pastor Brown said that's a very spiritually and physically dangerous place. Don't say that because I'll bring you back to the triangle. Those who say and weaponize those kind of things are no closer to the kingdom of God than the people they're speaking to. This is not a binary, right? All right, let me, let me, let me move on. And if you've ever been mistreated, misunderstood, and abused, you understand. But David decided to put Lord of the Ring style to put on the ring. He went a little killmonger in his feelings of justice, Wakanda forever, y'all. He, he thought it was better to hang out and consult with Putin and Kim Jong-un of the day for his good. Now, you think it's fine to hang out with Putin and Kim Jong-un if the person you supporting is doing it. But David was doing it. So much so that the Philistines took courage from what they thought David was about and doing. And later we'll see they're like, hey, let's attack the Israelites. We good. Come on, David, let's go. Right? They feeling good about themselves. They got David on their side. The enemies of God's people and the enemies of God's holiness were getting not only much cash, but much cachet off of David's double agency. This was not good. This was not God's perfect will. Did you know that Old Testament laws of war at the time that God gave his people, um, you know, if you were to take out a Philistine town, like he told Saul, and when David was working for Saul as one of his generals, that he would follow the same rules. You were supposed to kill everybody and everything. Old Testament laws of war at the time, you're not supposed to take the animals. You're supposed to kill the animals too. You're not supposed to take any good stuff. No gold. You don't get to take no silver. You don't get to take anything. In other words, God is saying you're not allowed to loot and raid certain groups. Now, sometimes, yes, you can take this, you can take that. But in many instances, it was you weren't, which means David was looting according to God's law. Though they were enemies of his cause. Not King David. Not the person who wrote the Psalms, y'all. We about to get into King David's life and the dude is not Jesus. He might be a type of Christ sometimes, but let me tell you, he was a looter and a rioter and a murderer. And yeah, like Jacob Blake, 
on David's resume. Okay, because some of y'all say, if you look at Jacob Blake's criminal record, he was a third degree rapist, blah, blah, blah. So that proves why the police should have shot him. Well, David should have been shot too. He's a first degree rapist and murderer. And yet you're still reading his Psalms? Wow. Somebody ain't consistent. He wants, we'll take them animals. He wasn't in God's perfect will. I'm not excusing it. And I don't think God was. I simply can say I understand, but it wasn't right. Which means you're already, okay? And, and remember I told y'all about weaponizing things. Because this will be like the, the, the sound bite folk take. See, Pastor Brown says, hold on, just hear me. While I do believe that civil unrest and radical response is the cry of the oppressed. The looting and violence happening parallel to the protests and perpendicular to the purposes of the protests are not right. But like Chris Rock, as a black man, I say, without feeling too bad about it, I understand. They should not have burned down that building or turned over that car but as an oppressed person, I did it. <laughs> if you haven't been there, you don't understand or you don't get it, then you ain't really been oppressed like that. That ain't part of your story yet. If you hadn't been there, you would just say, it's wrong. We need law and order. And I do too, but I am like, I understand because of feeling outcast and worse, feeling downcast. And when you feel that the ways you've been cast out begin to make you think that God isn't with you. Yes, there is a way where ungodly thinking and behavior creep in. That's a problem. We'll get to that. Because think about it. Now, some of y'all are like, yeah, they need to stop all this, all this stuff in the city and protesting. I mean, we even had, I even heard one key, we're going to get to this in a minute. But remember, this is not a binary, right? All have fallen short of the glory of God. Think about this. When the colonists, back in the mid to late 1700s, declared war as a minority group, against the British Empire. Things were said and done against the king who was in authority, put there by God, according to evangelical thinking, and who evangelicals today would say, we are called to respect, but for economic reasons, for money, for taxes, colonists looted, killed and declared a civil war for their cities, for their families, for the mistreatment of them economically. If you don't believe me, see the Boston Tea Party and the Stamp Act massacre and the riots and protests that followed as a result. That, that in the Boston, tea, the, in, the, in the Stamp Act massacre, the police of the day working for King George shot into a crowd of protesters and killed some. 
And that led to a bunch of rioting and protesting and looting by the colonists, soon to be Americans. We shot back. But you know what we say? God's nation was becoming. Now we say, praise God for the revolution. When a whole group of colonists crossed over to the other side, making alliances with France to win the war. The sworn enemy of the people they're called to submit it to. And, I, and, it's, and you, know what, you know what they said? If you read some of the documentation from the loyalists and, and the people who supported the crown, you know, who were the right wing to the king, you, 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 would, you know what was written? Look at those ungrateful colonists looting and tearing up what was given and granted to them and sustained by the empire that we paid good tax money and did trade deals for them to have and pay taxes like all good red-blooded Brits. Why can't they just comply? Why can't the colonists just work hard? Let me tell you, it was wrong to loot and riot whether then to become a more perfect union as the United States of America, or now to become a more perfect union as the United States of America, right? I'm even here leading evangelicals even saying that slaves should not have tried to free themselves. Then neither should have the colonists or the Protestant church back in 1570. No revolution or reformation is perfect. But regardless of whether you think it was diametrically opposed to the will of God for David to cross over, kill, and loot the Philistines, he should not have taken the animals and spoils. He was supposed to destroy them. Here's the problem. He did it. Here's the main problem. He did it because he believed he was left out and uncovered or cared for, not just by Saul, the oppressor, but by the God that Saul put in office, that God put in office. But, I mean, but, but that God put Saul in the office. Look at some of the Psalms. Have you read it? This is an outcast man. So David went and found safety among the enemies of his God and his faith, even his faith, and participated in some contraband activity. And it was not wrong when God told the Israelites to kill everyone, women, children, animals among the Philistines. But hear me, it was wrong and very dangerous to the people he was leading for David to do it, to simply save his own skin because it was driven. Why? Because it was driven by the feeling or belief or boiling frustration that God did didn't have his back and that doing it godly was no longer worth it or working. That's the problem. Not because he wasn't as righteous as other people in the way they were doing it. But because he failed to trust God. He wasn't even supposed to do it like Saul was doing it. Wait till next chapter. Let Pastor Josh do that next week. Saul ain't good, real bad. A number of black folks at our church and other churches like ours, multi-ethnic, evangelical churches, Kelly and I included, took a path. We found our way 
here. I'm pastoring. Right now, not exegeting all the way. We found our way here. Through predominantly white evangelical campus ministries. Some of y'all, same thing. Campus outreach, campus crusade, Reform University Fellowship, Great Commission students, FCA, many of us. And you came in, many of us, as the onesies and twosies who were drawn by what we believe was more biblical. Hear this. More biblical than what we were, what we had experienced and had, hear me, in our black churches and families. Right? So, so, so get this. To our black churches and our families. Do you know what it looked like? Because I've been told. It looked like you crossed over to the enemy. Why did you leave the place of your heritage and your faith? That's how they felt. Why did you cross over to, you know, my parents even asked me, you know, why are you going over to people who mistreated us during the civil rights movement? Why are you becoming a pastor to a denomination where they had to fuss and fight to declare that slavery was wrong? Why are you crossing over into what looks like to us are a people whose hearts, based on how they treated us, are far from God? They look more like Philistines. They look more like the enemy of God. And we crossed over. You know why? For what we felt like was spiritual life. (laughs) You know, the churches we were in, they weren't preaching the gospel. They weren't doing that sophisticated discipleship stuff that you see happening in these churches, right? They weren't exegeting the scripture. The pastor was not trained enough or, or, or this enough. And, and they weren't leading us to, to take mission to the world. I, I, I'm there. But we have been living as double agents. Surprise! And so when these issues come up, it's like, where did that come from? Like David, we've been living as double agents. Some of us, even, I'm telling you, I was there at least. I'll put myself out there. We were kind of despising the black church and, and t- talking badly about it and, and, and stereotyping and, and caricaturing its preaching and its ways is, is less than that solid theology and teaching we're getting in, the, in these evangelical churches, right? And, 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 and looking like we were embracing all the American conservative values of the culture of the people who were in the church. 
church, not the church of the Bible, and, and right-wing politics. And we became like we cared about more than anything, the one or two issues of abortion and sexuality and, and, and leaving behind the many others, the black church, like we saw with Martin Luther King Jr. thought were important as part of the faith. We left a huge piece and part of the gospel to get that good theology and church government and innovative discipleship stuff. And now so many of us in caring for and living among and as a group of outcasts and part of a group looking for their home, for a place, a nation, a church to be more godly and just are, as we ask questions and challenge the institutions, have cast out many of us in our questions. Now we're challenged as being Marxist. And half of y'all don't know what it means. You know a little bit because some other pastor told you. You never read a thing. Or neo-orthodox, you don't even know what that means. And with the, and, and y'all are, what, what, you black Christians in the church, y'all support the looters and rioters? All because we seek and to find healing? and comfort that we can't find in our own church and should. So many of us now, it's just a feeling. You ain't gonna get my resignation next week, right? No, don't even start that. So many of us are now looking to cross over again. Not go back even to the black church, right? But to cross out of what the, the, the churches were in and it's deceptive in these deceptive racial reconciliation churches, it, it, which is more, okay, it's not slavery anymore. Sometimes racial reconciliation churches are sharecropping, okay? Like it's just a little better. And kind of it's, you know, it, it what many evangelical churches, we cross in what many evangelical churches would label as the enemies, like David with his contraband of misfits, willing to live among what are the sworn enemies of conservative evangelicalism, the Marxists and the critical race theory people, and Black Lives Matters, Inc., who, who are often bolstered by those LGBTQ folks and the looters and, and vengeful, supporting what is so often pointed out as being criminal record-having people, like George Floyd and now Jacob Blake, and criticizing for possibly voting for a pro-abortion same-sex marriage supporting president and party or earthly families, advocates, uh, friends and philosophies and people that we don't feel good about. We find ourselves hanging out. With people that we don't hold the same theological and biblical convictions with. But it's a terrible situation where we're able to feel more secure living in those common spaces than our own home, the church. All because we fear for the emotional, physical, and spiritual life of our boys and our women. communities, our heritage, our faith. And so many of our local churches are fighting us instead of fighting to find a place for us.
And now those who are in place like Saul and those who are sojourning and running and seeking a new home like David are both living as outcasts. The church is confused. I, I, I hear it. I, I, I see what's going on. What do we need to do? We're lost. Wait, this is happening. This happened. This person's mad. This shot shooting. Oh no, what am I supposed to do? What about abortion? What about homosexuality? What about looting? What about law and order? What about social justice? And I know we're all scattered. We are all feeling downcast from the will and love of our God. This stuff stresses our faith. And there's about to be a break, right? An eruption pain that was the danger David was in that one day he'll come home with some horses and cows from looting and look back at Israel and see Saul is still in power the one who doesn't respect him or love him or care for him or make space for him who sees him as a threat and he'll say I'm home (laughs) Philistia among the Philistines Worshiping these other gods is obviously the best place for me. But the Bible has good news. Even as those cast out and outcasts, you don't have to be and live downcast and sinful. Like there is no God and that he is not your Lord, just because you live in the wild and find yourselves outcast. Now, this point won't take much exegesis. Think about it. The narrative of the Bible. You got it in your hand right here in paper, right? The focus of the Bible, here it is, does not leave David. Y'all see that? It's not like, right, right, right? Uh, the, the God reality camera and production team keep the tape rolling. Where? Where does the te- tape keep rolling? On David's life among the Philistines. Why? Because the rejection he felt and rejection by God he felt and acted on is not so good or the righteous way in his sin and wanting security and peace and freedom through ill-gotten ways. Even in that, guess what? The Lord was going to go wherever David went. Regardless of David's sin, God was with him. Though it wasn't as straightforward or free from sin, David and killing the Philistines on the down low was still moving in the call of God that he had actually given the king of Israel to do and what Saul should have been doing and had David working with and for him to do. God's purposes and call on David's life did not leave him even though he left Israel. His story in Philistia on the outskirts as an outcast and broken and sad and angry and violent downcast person was still part of God's redemption story. And God was still sovereign and his personal presence, holy presence was still with David. 
my outcast and downcast feeling people living on the edge and tempted to leave the faith or live dangerously without prayer and word and sacraments and wanting vengeance and, and, and living without worship, sometimes too beat down to lift up your heads. Here is the gospel as you walk and go your way. If you are his, even if that way is out of the line, out of line at times, the Lord will not leave or abandon the downcast and outcast that are his. So as David had to do numerous times, this is not the only time we will see him run. He even does so as a king. He runs. I want you to turn back to the Lord, to, to take hold of the faith that has been kidnapped or taken or caricatured or turned against you. Take it back as your own because God has called you his own over and against what else is in the triangle or quadrilateral of this world. You and I just need to remember he is the Lord and his kingdom is and goes where his children are. And however downcast and questioning and struggling and angry they are, guess what? Our Lord will never leave or forsake or leave behind those who are his. So like many of you, you know what I have to do a lot in my life? Repent. I know this is hard. I done said the stuff about looting and this and that and, 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 and understand. God so understands you. He's already turned towards your life. Repentance is this. Turn to and turn back to the Lord who is already turned towards you face God the one who is looking straight into your life and turn and look to him you don't necessarily have to go back the way you came you don't have to become a right-winged whatever republican capitalistic evangelical whatever it is you don't even you don't have to become uh, go, go back to a, a all black civil rights uh, era church. You, you don't you don't you don't have to do you don't have to be part of a, 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 a liberation theologically centered church. You don't have to. That, that, that's not what I'm saying. That application is not mine to give. This is a call to repent. Return to the Lord. So you can hear and then with faith walk and go and live where he tells you to. And that may be, that may be as it was for David to eventually go back home. To go back to the place that cast you out. <laughs> but maybe like David to be the one who shapes it. You hear that? He went back, and when he went back, he became king. Wow. Let me encourage you to something. The church, regardless of what kind of church, 
And we believe that as Reformed Christians, that the church is always reforming. We, we are always being shaped by the Holy Spirit to finally become the bride that's acceptable to be glorified by God in his time and his space, to, forever, to be married and then forever to live with him in heaven. My outcast people who are feeling downcast, you, And me, like King David, may be the people God is using for the next reformation of God's church. You may be the next Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, Grimke, Martin Luther King Jr., Have you thought about that? Are you so downcast that you don't see that God took a looter, a rapist, a man afraid, a man who failed to pray to become what many consider the greatest king of Israel outside of Christ Jesus? Repent because God's church needs you. When I say need, you know, nobody needs you. I know. Repent. And let's bring reformation and revolution to God's church. As outcast who felt downcast. I'm going to leave this psalm. I wasn't going to read it because it's long. I mean, my sermon was long. But listen to this. And this psalm means something completely different to me. Ever since I, you know, you sing the song in the campus ministry events and you're like, okay, right? But listen to this psalm in light of what we're going through and feeling outcast and downcast sometimes. Psalm 42, right? It's the old school Fuji La. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why? Are you cast down or downcast, oh, my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. My salvation in my God, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, what? I remember you. That's the same thing as repenting. I return to who you are. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands a steadfast love. And at night, that's when you're sleeping. His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? 
Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taught me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down your soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Ends this way. Hope in God. For we shall again praise him as my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is so much temptation to leave the faith and believe the faith has left us because of where we stand. Lord, you stand for us to repent, to return to godliness, to return and walk in the way of holiness. Help us to do that even though we've been cast out. Lord, Holy Spirit, come even though we've been feeling downcast. Lord, we thank you that you came into the world as a man, as Christ Jesus. And Lord, you know what you did? You joined the company of outcasts and misfits. You, you, you didn't go to, 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 to the head place. You didn't go to the throne. You crossed over, Lord to welcome and bring and meet and offer repentance and salvation for those who were the outcast and downcast. Do that, Lord Jesus, in our lives. Because only when you join our company do we have a chance at repentance and being an eternal part of yours. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.